The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Tabernacle. I'm Tim, one of the pastors. I'm so glad that you joined us. Uh, I want to extend my welcome, especially if you're new. Um, let me know if anybody doesn't treat you perfectly, and I will deal with them personally. Uh, you know, you can go ahead and choose to believe that that was actually John, you know, through video manipulation, computer stuff. I'm telling you, we traded John to Canada, okay? <laughs> we got a couple of fourth round picks coming in 2017. Um, it's going to be good. No. John is in Canada. He hasn't spent all of his time in that particular city that he was mentioning, but he has been in Canada. It's one of those uh, amazing things. It's at the heart of uh, our DNA at the Tabernacle. Um, God has gifted us uh, with uh, speakers that travel um, and uh, nationally and internationally, uh, and, and we support that. And one of the things I need uh, you to know is, is uh, as the Tabernacle... Um, expands and explodes and we begin to see more and more change life those stories are shared and they're shared for the kingdom uh, and sometimes the stories are just weird and funny and you know who you are um, those weird and funny stories uh, but they're, but they're shared and they're shared with this uh, depth of love I've been there uh, and I've listened to uh, Chris and to John speak uh, out in the world uh, and the fondness and the love that they have for here is incredibly real. So, take that as a compliment. We're in uh, the seven word series, uh, phrases, sentences, things that Jesus spoke at the end of his life. Um, and today, it's a heavy one. And it is no other way to put it. Uh, I'm absolutely astounded by uh, what God, I believe, wants us to learn out of. Uh, it's been a very good growing learning week for me uh, in, in that particular area. Um, but out of this heaviness, I really believe comes uh, encouragement, vast encouragement, and that's my hope. So if I get intense, uh, it's because I'm convicted about this for me, uh, and, and the desire is, is God's going to translate. So with that, uh, we're going to bow our heads, and we're going to pray for just a moment here. Father. 
First, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your purpose and your meaning and your joy. We thank you that you understand each and every one of us here, that we're not just a blob of people, but we are individuals that you desire relationship with uh, and that you speak to us so often. Father, may what we hear today be your word and never mine, a flawed sinner. May they be yours, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who has our heart in your hand. God, may this be worship to you in your blessed name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open uh, to the book of Mark. Um, we're going to be in the 15th chapter. We're going to be uh, 33 and 34 is where we're going to read, or, or a device, or it's going to be on the screen. There's a lot of options. So that's, that's Mark 15, 33 through 34. This is what the Word of God says. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthini, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like I said, it's heavy. It carries this weight and we're not meant to dwell here as followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know that Easter's coming and we know the end of the story and, and it gets good. But we need to dwell in this moment. This was Jesus speaking on the cross. He's been betrayed. He's been arrested. He's seen violence. He's seen some of his closest people flee and run away. He's been falsely accused. He's been falsely convicted. He's been imprisoned in this moment of, of whipping and torture and a crown of thorns. And his body is now ravaged. And then comes the walk up the hill to where he's going to be crucified between two thieves and they're laid down and, and the nails are pierced through his flesh. And then he's hung up. Boom. This is going to be a slow, painful suffocation of a death. And it is completely unjust and completely unfair. And now he's being teased and taunted. And even the meager ownings that he has his clothes are now being divided amongst the rabble. Through all of this time, on the cross, Jesus has offered encouragement. He's taken care of relationships. He's taken care of the thief next to him. Even those, even those that are tormenting him, he prays for their forgiveness. Now here he is, the lamb, the innocent one, and he cries out, God, why? Now, there are theologians who will debate this. There are people, men and women, substantially more brilliant than I would ever aspire to be. There are thoughts and theologies, and I'm, I, I just don't want to get into those arguments because it seems plain to me that Jesus is saying something very specific to us. Everything that Jesus has said through his life up to this point that has been recorded for us gives us a key 
to living life. So in this moment, he's crying out, where are you, God? All of his life, there's been the spiritual connection with God, his Father. The entire time it's been there, and he's just resonated in it. He's, he's been hungry. He's been thirsty. He's been tired. He's had leg cramps. He's you know, had dusty feet all of the time. He had moments of joy and, and wondrous fellowship with other humans, but he was fully human. It's one of those things that we can't quite wrap our brain around. And I love that. See, the Bible starts out with a challenge. In the beginning, God created, and then it goes through this list of creation, and it gives us everything that we need to know, and a lot of people have taken that and, and you know, get into all of these debates, and I'm just going to tell you, those are dumb, okay? They're just dumb. They just make non-believers run away. It can be your faith, and it should be private and internal, and if you have an opportunity, but, but here's what I can't wrap my brain around. Because in the beginning God created, he spoke, and things came into existence. Ow. I don't get it. I don't know how, but, but I love that because God is so much more magnificent. He is so huge, and his power is so supreme that I can't even begin to fathom. So then we move to the cross, and here's this moment, and this is this little debate this is what I believe, personally. We know that hell is separation from God. That's been preached here recently. Hell is separation from God. And at this moment, Jesus, the, the innocent lamb, is, is and now we're right at the edge and we're looking at God's plan for restoring from Adam who sinned first up to us. God is looking to restore his relationship with us, and this is the culmination of how it's going to happen. Jesus is the innocent lamb on the cross who has never sinned. Fully God, fully man. Ow. However, it's true. So he's fully God, and he's fully man, and he's on the cross, and he's being sacrificed. And, and even though he's had all of this physical torture, even the, the emotional of it. Everybody fleeing. He's still honoring his God's will. And he still has this purpose. He has this thing that's going to you know, be, be coming up. But at that moment, I believe that the sin of man, past, present, and future, was placed on our Savior. And at that moment, nothing holy can be before God, and God needed to turn his back to forsake means to turn away completely. This is what's happening to Jesus. And, and at the moment, he's able to somehow, in anguish, come up with enough strength to cry out. So he's not up there healthy and happy. He's up there dying. And he's got nothing left. And yet when the moment of separation comes, because that's how sin is paid for, he, he takes all of the sin. He's able to cry out. He reaches down and cries out. It says in a loud voice, why, God, why? He's alone. And I need to translate that because I'm one of these humans that can manipulate truth really fast. And it's like, humans, oh yeah, there's a whole bunch. I'll just be in the crowd. 
What I need to do is I need to focus. This week I've been trying to do this some, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm a wicked sinner. I just am. But Jesus was on the cross, and he had Tim's sins, all of Tim's sins, past, present, and future, thrown upon him. So if we insert your name, he's had all of your sin, past, present, and future. He's taken all of the sins of those in the past and all of the sins of those that will come that we'll never know. He's taken all of those through this mysterious way and he takes it with him to death. He defeats sin and death. But at that moment, he no longer felt the presence of God. That's heavy. If we stopped right there, then Christianity would be a, a lot of us walking around with our heads down and our shoulders bent forward going, I'm sorry, that was, oh gosh, I did that, yeah, and I did that. And, and that's where we would stop, but that's not the end because we know Easter is coming. But what about you? Have you ever felt forsaken? I have. There's an encouragement that comes out of the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. So that's 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And, and I, I want to get to a point of encouragement because this, this sermon is really, it's about encouragement. It's for you. It's for us. It's for me. And this is what it's titled, Born Again to a Living Hope. This is what the Word of God says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is, listen, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that's beautiful, and if you're anything like me, man, those old-timey apostles could really write long sentences. And I can get really lost, and I can really try to go, read that again, go back to that first verse. Are you ready? Oh, okay. We're going to break it down. Because out of here comes encouragement. Out of here comes encouragement. I don't know where you're at at this moment. I don't know how your brain feels. I don't know how your heart feels. I don't know how your body feels. I don't know if you're in abject worship or if you're wondering where God is. I don't know. But I know that all of us live a life. And we live life in a sinful world with really sharp edges. And sometimes things happen that we've done. And sometimes things happen to us. 
that aren't so great. Sometimes the presence of God is so profound that we can do nothing but weep or raise our arms. See, all of life is worship. I've you know, heard people talk about, yeah, worship, it's that little bit of time when we sing. No, all of life is worship. And in the book of Psalms, Jesus is quoting from the 22nd Psalm, and I would encourage you to, to read that this week. And the 22nd Psalm, uh, you know, that, 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 that's a book of the Bible that I have such a hard time reading. You know, personally, I call it the schizophrenic book. And I don't even know if that fits. It just does. I, but but it, what it is, is it's crazy to me because one moment it's like, hey, God, you're amazing. This is incredible. Everything I have is yours, and we're going to do this from now on. And the very next chapter, it's like, where are you? Really, my enemies are coming, and they're biting at me? You're going to let this happen? I don't even believe that you're in love with me. And the book goes like that, and it reflects humans. That's David, one of the greats of the Old Testament. And then Jesus references that. See, Jesus was fully man. He had the feelings. So I don't know when it was or when it will be or if it is, but and is it divorce? Where you've been there and it's just alone? Is it family crisis time? Another lost member? Is it depression? which is as real as the day is long and can be exacerbated by this thing we call winter slash hell up here <laughs> because we can feel the separation of God sometimes in the darkness and in the cold and in the muddiness. Maybe there's a conflict I'm not thinking of. Maybe it's one of the isms, you know, the isms out there. Maybe it's one of those, and, and we just feel these oppressing feelings. Well, here's encouragement in First Peter on how to deal when we feel that way. So there's three points. The first point is this. It's temporary. So when that feeling comes, it's temporary. This feeling is temporary. Peter tells us for a little while, for a little while, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. That means you have, you have felt the feeling that Jesus felt, the forsakenness. In the midst of feeling that way, it sure doesn't seem like it's temporary, does it? It feels like it's going to be this eternity that lasts forever and ever. And, you know, I, this, okay, picture me little and going to this torture chamber and I'm being dragged there by my loving parents and it's called the dentist office. <laughs> and I'm going in and I know it's going to be horrible and painful and I, and, and I, can't, I can't sleep the night before and, and it gets worse in the car ride and I'm, you know, in the old days without seatbelts, I'm ready to jump. Then I get there and, you know, all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I, I, one time I had this thought and I used it from then on and I still use it today. I'm sitting in a dentist chair and I grab on to the rail and it's like, it'll be tomorrow before I know it. It'll be tomorrow before I know it. It'll be tomorrow. And then it is. And I survived. Now that's kind of a little pithy, a little small when we're talking about forsaken, but, but this Thing that's happening is temporary. 
even if maybe it's a medical condition and your life is going to end or the life of a loved one or, or, or there's death. And it's like, how can that be temporary? We look at not just this life, but the next. It's a blip how long we're here. The older you get, the faster the days go by. Right, really old people? Yeah. Eternity in our life, okay? It's just a short time. It's temporary. Because we have this glory coming, this promised future with the King of Kings and with our brother Jesus. We've got that coming, uh, and that's going to be forever. Again, my mind breaks because I can't picture forever. I can't. I just can't even get there. I mean... I have a hard time if I get over a $20 bill. I'm lost. So how can I think of forever? It's temporary. The second thing that I want you to get out of this is there's a purpose. In the midst of feeling forsaken, there's a purpose. At that time that we're going through that, it may not be the time to say that, but maybe someone close could come to us and let us know that there's a purpose. One of the most ruinous things I think that we could do is if somebody loses a loved one and we go up and right away and go, God's got a purpose for this. No, I don't want to hear that. This is when we grieve. But I'm telling you that there's a purpose in what's going to happen. How in the world can there be a purpose in the muddy awfulness of divorce? Where the person you used to sit really super close to that we could never even put a piece of paper between you two, now you can hardly be in the same room. And the pain and the anguish and the frustration is so palpable, so it's just screaming every time we come in. How can there be a purpose in that? Many of you know that I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. And 28 years ago <clears throat> was when I entered a treatment program. So there was a period of life before that that you'd know nothing about, and I'm not going to share it with you. <laughs> but 28 years ago, I'm sitting in a treatment center, and I'm about two and a half weeks into this treatment center, and suddenly the reality of my situation is pounding down upon me, and I believed that there was no purpose. In my heart, I'm going, why is this happening to me? I could barely make it from bed to breakfast to group to whatever else we did. And the question was, as my heart is continuing to race, why? Well, there's been this journey. I've celebrated 28 years in January, and so here's this journey, and here's where I am. And today I'm here. This isn't where I want to be. I don't aspire to be a speaker. You know, but, but if I'm called upon, I'll do it because I, I want to be obedient. But, but how did I get from there to here? 
See, there's this purpose. And, and as this community has exploded, this community called the, the tabernacle, whether you know, we physically attend or we attend online, it, do, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's been this reason, this purpose for what I've been going through. See, if you've been divorced and maybe you're trying to heal from that, I can be sympathetic and I can point towards Jesus and some biblical answers, but I cannot be empathetic because I haven't been through it. Okay? But this I have. I know what it's like to worship a false god. I know what it is to sacrifice my children at the altar of a false god. I know what it is to put the false god before my wife and my kids and my work and my meaning and my purpose and my joy. I know what that is. Back then I couldn't see... But it's like being in a city. I've been in Boston, big city and a lot of old stuff. And, you know, this mystical aspect of God is he's outside of time. And I'm a little guy standing here looking, going, I have to go up and left. And I can't see around that corner, so I have no idea what's up there. No idea. But God does. And he can use all of my choices, the million or a billion different ways. He can use all of them have purpose and meaning to point to Jesus Christ. There's purpose behind everything. God can turn it around and use it for his glory. He can turn it around and use it to point to Jesus. The last point, and I think that this is really important that we grasp this. And this is super highly encouraging you are never alone. You are never alone. You are never alone. Jesus faced true, real separation from his Father. We will never experience that. We are promised by God that he will never leave or forsake us. He will never leave or forsake Tim. He will never leave or forsake your name inserted. It will never happen. Even in the depth of the deepest depression, he's there. You're not alone. But we're human beings and we have this universal sin. Number one, we all believe that we're unique and our story is unique. And there's a huge amount of ego in that. And there's a huge amount of pride and self in that. Families are taught subtly, sometimes not so subtly. Do not talk about that outside this house. Don't expose that ever, or there will be a price to pay. That's from the pit of hell. That is from the pit of hell. Because what it does is it produces aloneness. And what it does is it, it provides this thing of you're the only one and everybody will laugh or shame you if you say something. Well, here's Jesus on the cross. At his most vulnerable, when he pulls up out of himself the last reserve to cry out, why, God? Why, God? And then he has it written in a book that can be read from now on, and not only just any book, but, but it, it is the most widely publicized book in existence, the Bible. He demonstrates, don't keep those secrets. 
that will harm you when Satan will subtly say to you, you're alone and stay alone. It's better that way. They don't get it. They're going to laugh at you and think you're stupid. Jesus exposed. We need to. See, the body of Christ, God knows how much aloneness will kill us. He knows how much it will kill us physically, emotionally, but most of all, spiritually. He knows that this body that he put together, that man has kind of goofed up in some ways, a lot of ways. But at its heart, it's don't be alone. Scripture tells us in Hebrews, don't stop meeting together. Don't keep coming together. That, that's God telling us, don't stop. Don't listen to the voice. The church is the place often where we come, where we put on the most plastic face we can manufacture. How you doing? Great. Losing my house. My wife is leaving. Great. I'm not saying that we come in and that we just expose to everywhere. That would be inappropriate. But there's groups, there's Bible studies, there's small groups, there's, there's AA groups, there's recovering groups for uh, people that are jacked up and a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, it just goes on and on. There's women's Bible studies. You know, anything that you desire pretty much as far as getting together will find an excuse not to go. That's fine. I get that because I wasn't ready for a long time. But I'm going to tell you it's going to be better because you'll be less alone. God will never forsake you. You will never be alone. But if you're like me, I need reminders. I need reminders over and over and over. I need people that will come when depression hits me, when, when all of a sudden I'm inviting in this avalanche of hard stuff. And I need people that will go, hey, Tim, this is temporary. Tim, okay, there, there's something good that's going to come out of this. Tim, you're not alone. I'm here with you. You want to know why that's so cool? Because I think God designed it that, that so much encouragement and so much of me learning who Jesus is comes from you. That's how he designed it. So in our sinfulness, we create ways that that doesn't happen. and We keep quiet about so many issues and so many things. And, and I've been around long enough that I can see the body language of some of that and that's okay I don't judge it's when you're ready but my desire is, is that you get it now that you get it now I've been sober for 28 years I've been drug free for 28 years and I go to meetings every week and there's multiple reasons and it's a picture of how the body of Christ can be and I, I go to those meetings as one of my friends says to get my screws tightened okay because the six days I've started to unravel it and the moment that I think that I don't need my screws tightened anymore is when I'm really setting up for a fall. And I know that because I've watched a thousand falls. If something like that works and it's completely scriptural, then why not us? Why not us? Sometimes we need to stop and get quiet and focus. Maybe for a minute or maybe for an hour or maybe for a week. I don't know how it works for you. And I've got to look at 
Jesus being forsaken as my brother. So when I feel forsaken, he can come and he can put his arm around me and he can say, yeah, I know I've been there. I know what that feels like. And not in a shaming way, but in an encouraging way. So out of these feelings of forsakenness, it, it just, it's quickly pointed out to us, look, look, it, it's only going to be for a little while, okay? There's a reason, and you're not alone, and you don't have to be alone. So stop building walls and making yourself alone. Let's get together. Let's, let's do this. See, and what Jesus suffered as the innocent lamb on the cross, when all of our sins are, are piled upon him, and there's that moment of separation, and I don't get that moment. I don't know. I don't care how long it lasts. I can't get that, and that's not important. The thing was, is it happened. It was real. It's a fact. And all the sin was placed upon him. It was done for one reason. And we see how much it hurt. So Jesus knows pain. He knows physical pain, yeah. He knows emotional train, pain. Most of all, he knows spiritual. He was completely human. He was God-man. There's a pastor, an old-timey pastor named Charles Spurgeon. And I'm going to read you a quote from him. And love Charles Spurgeon. He's a man of integrity and he spoke truth and he spoke it with confidence and he brought clarity to the word in ways that were unimaginable and he smoked cigars, okay? And he was a man, he was a man like David who chased after God. This is what he says about the moment on the cross, Says, you shall measure the height of his love, if it can be measured, by the depth of his grief, if it can ever be known. The height of his love, the depth of his grief for you. He desires you to really get it that you're not alone. He desires you to get it that you will never be forsaken. He desires you to get it that in the, in the most painful moment that may still be happening to you, that he is there. Often God shouts in our pain. And sometimes life is going grand in our worship and our meditation and our trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus is phenomenal. He's whispering to us. I want you to know you're never, ever going to be alone. You will never be alone. And the love is for you. I, I hope that's encouraging. I have a tendency to take encouraging things and sometimes really make them intense. Sorry about that. <laughs> but we have this moment now where we're going to go into just a contemplative, a quiet time, and there's going to be uh, some things that are on the screen, and the things that are going to come up on the screen are going to be God's heart about you, about you, about you, about you. This is God's heart. We know 
the end of the story. But we got to take all of it into context. And this moment was for you.